Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. out of that experience Rob I don't know how you but I came out of that experience saying thank God for my condition because if it wasn't for my condition I would still be in corporate I'd still not be a great dad you know I still wouldn't be doing the things and helping people around the world if it hadn't been for my condition and I also woke up thinking you know what I don't want to change a thing like I'm finally looking in the mirror and I'm the person that I want to be and I suppose for me, there's always a silver lining in a cloud. And for me, it was one of those moments to say, hey, you know, what you've gone through has actually just made you a better person and it's actually got you closer to who you really want to be. So I was thankful. This podcast, 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness, is brought to you by our sponsor, SOS Rehydrate. It's an organic drink mix as effective as an IV drip. It's proven by science and used by elite athletes because only the best will do for elite athletic performance. So for all your hydration needs, our listeners today get 15% off if you enter the code mental toughness at INeedSOS.com. Our guest today, uh, he has a great hinge moment and can definitely share some mental toughness with us. So he has over 26 years of business experience. He worked for Coca-Cola for 18 years, so he was running multi-million dollar divisions. Now in 2011, he left due to an inherited kidney condition, which I know he's going to talk about, and he set up his own startups. So while going through this kidney disease, this kidney condition, he had a transplant, and his best mate actually became the donor and this was even just a few days before his wedding. So it's a fascinating hinge moment that we look forward to talking about. But he's a mentor, he's a community builder, and a podcaster for solopreneurs. So our guest, I mean, he's mentored over hundreds of solopreneurs just to help them achieve success. His site and mission is Build, Live, Give. You can find him at buildlivegive.com. And his podcast is Build, Live, Give podcast. has over 142 episodes. I'm really excited about this guest today because I know he's going to share a lot with us. Our guest today is Paul Higgins. Paul, thanks for joining us, mate. Fantastic to be here, Rob. So um, you're not the first Aussie we've had on here, but I think Aussies always sound smart when they come on the air, man. So thanks for joining us. (laughs) Well, you're the first person that's ever said that to an Aussie, so I appreciate (laughs) it. (laughs) Um, So we're going to talk about mental toughness. They talk about business, solopreneurs, um, and, and obviously hinge moments. One of the things that that's, you know we were connected through Jamie Masters, so I know uh, in the coaching business, but um, one of the things on your website that struck me right away is because I always say every every door has a hinge. So that one moment, that one person or one event that makes all the difference in our lives, it connects who we are with who we become. And on your website, it struck me because you had a sliding door moment. And I haven't been able to fix that one. I don't know how a sliding door has a hinge, you know. So I was like, "Tell me about that, man." So uh, walk us walk us through that hinge hinge moment though in your life. Yeah, look, um, I'll give you just one. 
one quick moment and then I'll go to the hinge moment. So one moment was uh, I was 18, you know, full of life, just finished school, had the sort of the world ahead of me. And um, my mum, I, I basically got tested for our inherited condition. So it's a 50-50 at birth. We only found out about it when my mum had a massive heart attack and basically she passed away, but they revived her um, in her early 40s. And that's when I walked out of that doctors and I had the results and I looked at my mum, I've never seen such sadness that she knew that she'd passed on her condition to me. Mm. So at, at 18, I knew I had a ticking time bomb, but at 18, you're like, well, I'm invincible. It's not impacting me now. Everything's fine. So that was sort of one hinge moment, which, you know, having known that you're carrying a disease like that, it, it does influence your, you know, your outlook on life. Um, but then I fast forward to 2011. I uh, worked for Coca-Cola, as you said. It was, it was a brilliant career. But dad, my dad used to always say, every corporate guy's got person's got a number. So your number will come up. And that normally means that, you know, you're not dealt the card that you thought you were going to be dealt. And that sort of happened to me. They offered me a job, uh, which was a great senior role. And then the day after they said, no, actually, now you're going to have to uh, compete against the market for that role. We've changed our mind overnight. And so one one night they offered it to you. Next day they changed your mind. Correct. They they took it away. And wow. and I said, well, that's clear. Let's just go for a redundancy here. And they basically said, look, you're too good to be made redundant. Um, unofficially they said that. And they said, we'll just find you a job. And I'm not a guy that just you know you find me a job and I'll do you know something just to pass time. That's not in my nature. Mm -hmm. So I basically went up to my dad's farm. And so my dad worked for Coke for 25 years. So he knew all the context and and we picked olives for four days. So I don't know if you've ever picked olives, Rob. I would love to, man. I'm serious. I mean, I've chopped wood for days, but I've never picked olives. But but I'd love to, man. But go ahead. Yeah, so basically we, you know, sat on my backside with my dad for four days just, you know, picking hundreds and thousands of, of these olives that lined his beautiful um, farm. And, uh, you know, effectively I said to dad, look, I don't know what I want to do, but I know it's not this. You know, I've got my kidney disease is coming like a, a steam train. I know corporate's not going to look after me with my, my condition is the way that I want. You know, I'm going to basically spend most of my life in a hospital and I can't be in corporate doing that. They've thrown me a curveball, you know, which is not what I want. And, you know, I'm just sick of, you know, all the pressure, the stress flying around the world, not seeing my family. Like, you know, over these four days let's come up with a plan that completely changes my life and um in short that's what happened that was the hinge moment and so so you're picking olives as sort of the meditation for the four days the hard work because i love hard work as as i'm sure you do too so i mean um and then and then walk us through them what what happened what took place i mean you just said that's it yeah, I, I just basically over the four days said, look, you know, we worked through what what are my skills? What am I best at? What do I love to do? If you're going to go and set up your own company, make sure you enjoy it, you know, because you spent, you know, Coke was brilliant. I learned a lot, but there was a lot of years where, you know, it wasn't the easiest, um, easiest of environments. And we had a, a particular group MD um, here in Australia that um, ran a pretty tough, tough ship. So, it, yeah, definitely wasn't enjoyable. So, uh, you know, short story on all of that i said look i love helping people and i love coaching people you know that's what i do mentoring coaching and dad said well 
why don't you do that? And I said, okay. So I went back on the Monday and told my boss, look, I'll work until you find someone to replace my role, which helped them. So I said three months notice I'll give you, which helped them and I helped onboard the person, you know, very professionally to take over the job that, you know, I was offered and <laughs> was taken back. And then the other thing, that gave me three months to actually set up my business at night so that when I finally hit, I was, um, you know, I was hitting the, the road hard. Yeah. Anybody, uh, just a little tangent. So anybody that is wanting to do their own thing, you know, I mean, there's a lot of fear in that. Do you recommend that's the way to do it, though? Still kind of hold on to the day job until you can create some momentum? Look, it's a great point. I only know the way that I did it, yeah. um, but I do mentor a lot of people and I see both. I see some that just completely burn the bridge. And to be honest, I think that's the better way that you never have a, a fallback to say, mm -hmm. hey, look, I'm going to go back to corporate because, you know, you, as you know, in all the sports people you work with, if you're not 100% in, you know, it, it's not going to be successful. You're just, you're so, just in the way. Spot on. Yeah. So, so I completely, I think that's the best method, but just make sure you know what no money for two years looks like. You know, have that conversation with your, your partner, have the conversation with your family because, you know, the elation of leaving corporate quickly comes to reality when, you know, you're, you're sort of a nobody. When, when I was at Coca-Cola, you know, I didn't want to tell people what I did because everyone would want a job, they'd want a free product, whatever. Right? <laughs> so I spent all my life trying not to say what I did. And when I finally left, I didn't know what I was really doing. And, you know, I used to phone myself to see if my phone was still working because no one was ringing, right? So, you know, you've got to really um, be prepared for that. So so have have the finances to do that. And also, you know, about mental toughness, make sure that you're prepared for some of the hardest days you'll ever have because if you think working in a corporate or job's hard, once you run your own business, I tell you, that's when you really come up against it. Do you or a loved one need a better night's sleep? Sleep is the most important component to our overall mental and physical health, but too often we just don't get a good night's sleep. The product that you need, without a doubt, is Psalm Sleep. What you do is you drink a can of Psalm Sleep 30 minutes before you want to fall asleep, you have a great night rest, and then you wake up feeling refreshed, not foggy or hungover. I drink it all the time when I know I need an important night's sleep and I can't mess around with it at all. Listeners today, you get 15% off if you go to GetSom, that's G-E-T-S-O-M.com, and in the promo code, enter Dr. Rob Bell, that's D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L, -L, you get 15% off. Everyone needs a better night's sleep. Go to GetSom.com. So one of the things that you... Uh that you mentioned and, and on your site, Build, Live, Give, which, which I'm, you know, I've, I've gone through and I love. And, um, and one of the quotes I think that we share, but it's like, you know, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. And so that's where you help people get on that, that highway, right? Like, so they don't have to stop on every small town and, but they can get on that highway. Um, walk us through a couple of things. What is it that you help solopreneurs with? Yeah, so I've I back engineered what I should have done. So you know, I had mentors, I had coaches, you know, I went to events, I listened to podcasts, and you know, mm -hmm. like your great podcast. But but I didn't always take the advice on board. You know, I, I thought I was really successful in Coke. 
in a corporate career, so that'll just automatically mean I was successful there. And and from a sporting context, you know, I was a an elite cricketer, which uh, I know uh, you know you Americans find hard to understand, but you know I. I was always really successful. I'm a, you know, I was a single-figure golfer. Like whatever I turned my hand to was successful. And um, yeah, five years. I got to say, it really took me to strike success in my own business. So I just back-engineered it. So the first thing was your time is everything. So in corporate, it's you know you don't get paid really by how much you work. So if something works or not, you know it's a whole team thing. It gets very uh, um, easy to, to camouflage. But when you're your own person. You know, and certainly for me, I took so many detours off that highway. Yeah. You know, I'm an ideas guy. And every idea that crossed my desk, you know, <laughs> I would run off with it. You know, so the first thing is make sure you really value your time. And, and I think there's three things. One's the mindset of that. Two is making sure that you've got a, um, a VA, a virtual assistant or assistant. Like, you know, pay. don't be doing work that you can pay someone you know, maybe a tenth of what you're getting paid. And the third thing is have the right technology. You know, like don't limit yourself to working in the one area. It's a global community now, so be smart. Don't drive around and waste all that time driving, etc. when you can jump on Skype or Zoom and, you know, still help people. So that's the first one. The second is your ideal client. Like, you know, so often I was just anyone that had a heartbeat with a wallet was right. basically my customer. And that's, you know, we all know that that's not the best way to go. So really make sure you're specific around who you're targeting. So your LinkedIn profile, as an example, should be easy for someone to say, hey, is this a person for me or not? Third, business model. You know, make sure you're paying yourself before you pay everybody else. And, you know, make sure you've got a recurring model where possible so you're not doing one-off jobs, you got your pricing right. Most people underprice. Um, you know, they don't think they're good enough for the, to charge the rates that they are and certain things there. Fourth is sales focus. Like if you don't get an offer that converts, you don't have a business. Mm -hmm. So you've got to make sure you've got that offer. And, you know, at the moment we do a lot of work with people helping them on that, but also helping them promote it through LinkedIn and particularly LinkedIn posting. I think it's a it's an absolute gold mine at the moment, so make sure you're doing that. And the last one is you build up all this demand and all of a sudden you start to work ridiculous hours. So you've got to make sure you have the experts and a team to help you. So I liken it to wearing, you know, seven to eight hats. You've got to keep the ones you can only do and your best at and then get people. And we've got 400 vetted suppliers in the world where we can just draw on one of those and say, hey, look, here's three people you should go and work with, but you shouldn't be doing your own website. You shouldn't be doing your own design. You shouldn't be doing your own podcast editing. You know, there's people that can do that a lot quicker and more effective than you. So they're the lessons I learned from backtracking what I wish I had have done in the first place. And so... So those that uh, that can be listened, to, I mean, they do coaching for a living, or they do, uh, you know, consulting. Um, you know, every one of those points, man. I think we've heard. But when it comes to like the mindset, so all the people that you've worked with, what is that mindset that you think they have to have, or it's just not going to be successful? You wouldn't recommend that they go down that route. Yeah. So, so I'll take. Um my you know as i said i spent a lot of time in hospital uh, mm -hmm. with with my my disease and i also spent a lot of time on dialysis so you know three times a week for four and a half hours and, and my mum was on it for 10 10 years wow. uh at you know four and a half to five hours um three times a week so it's a 
big impact in your life. Now, some people sat there and basically complained the whole time about it. So they just, you know, said, this is unfair, you know, why me, etc. Whereas I worked the whole time. I had my laptop there and I just got on and did it because I knew I couldn't change the fact that I was there. And I think it's the same thing with business that, you know, it, it um, if a client cancels on you or something doesn't go your way, you've got the choice. You know, that stimulus versus response, as Stephen Covey said, you've got the choice to make that that difference. So, you know, I really think that that's the key thing that makes a difference because you're going to have those terrible days. You're going to be on dialysis where you think, you know, why me? It's someone's birthday or someone's out, you know, playing golf or someone's doing something that you love to do and you're sitting on a machine, but you can't let that get to you and uh, so yeah that's probably the key thing I think and and that's only you know really you can make that choice um, you can sit there and you know pity or you can actually say well w- what's the best outcome I can achieve out of this mm-hmm. and so I've never been through dialysis I've had a couple near-death experiences though um, from from going through that process and then even seeing your mom on it and you going through it um, what perspective did you get from that? Yeah, well, look, one perspective from my mum is she never complained, mm. never. So mum was had the same cardiologist for 37 years. Even So mum passed in July. Even her last breath, they said, look, we don't think we can give you dialysis uh, anymore, which she knew meant she was going to pass. Right. And they said, look, if you stop taking your pain medication, we might be able to give you one more session. And mum said, okay, I'll stop all pain medication. And like mum was in palliative care, it was excruciatingly painful, but she was willing to give all that up to basically have one more go. And even at that point, she never, ever complained at all what, you know, how she was, etc. And then her cardiologist came in and said, you've got two litres of fluid on on you, Moira. And um, I think then she sort of twigged, but she never said anything to us. She just sat there peacefully, lied back, and I'd fortunately left my bag there. I was about to go home with my brother and my dad, and there's only the three of us. So I was about to go back. I went in to get my bag. I looked at mum, and she just rolled her eyes and, you know, peacefully passed away and you know i think up until that very last breath she was fighting and just trying to you know do things that um always to improve herself and improve her condition i think was was quite amazing and so what about your experience having gone through it yeah look um i suppose for me um certainly leading up so when you're at, I was got to 6% kidney function and if you can sort of think of your worst hangover ever it's like that's every day right so you know you just and you know I've got a photographic memory so I can remember most things and I'm brilliant with people's names and faces I could hardly even remember their first name near the end so I'm still running a business you know at full steam and you know I I it was yeah, just incredibly difficult. And I didn't realize how bad I was until I actually went on dialysis. And it was like day and night. All of a sudden, I could think clearly again. And I could actually, you know, everything started to pop. But I went, you know, really five years fighting. They kept saying, you're going to have to go on dialysis. I'm saying, no, I'm not going on yet. Because dialysis, you might live for 
you know, 10 years is the average. And I'm mm. like, you know, I want to send my grandkids. I don't, I don't want to, you know, so I just kept pushing it away. But by pushing it away, it wasn't a great life. And, you know, a lot of people deal with, with stuff. And for me, I suppose, you know, compared to others, it's quite fortunate. But, yeah, it was it was really, really tough. And, um, you know, and but I, you know, once again, I never complained. When people said how I, oh, I said I was great, I just never, I never sort of gave up. And you said a near-death experience in November. I had a what's called an nephrectomy, a kidney removal, because they were about the size of a American football, maybe a bit bigger, uh, the two of them. So to put another one in, they had to take one out. That's how big they are. Mm. And um, I, I basically, yeah, they, they nearly lost me. I had a um, the major, major artery to the heart tore, and basically I was bleeding to death and now I've got, it looks like a shark bite, which is pretty good if you live in Australia or South Africa because, you know, they're pretty common. <laughs> but I've got this massive scar now from one side of my body to the other way and it's it's quite jagged because they just had to quickly cut me open, um, take it out and, um, yeah, and I came out of that experience, Rob, I don't know how you, but I came out of that experience saying, Thank God for my condition, because if it wasn't for my condition, I would still be in corporate. I'd still not be a great dad. You know, I still wouldn't be doing the things and helping people around the world if it hadn't been for my condition. And I also woke up thinking, you know what, I don't want to change a thing. Like, I'm finally looking in the mirror and I'm the person that I want to be. And I suppose for me, there's always a silver lining in a cloud. And for me, it was one of those moments to say, hey, you know, what you've gone through has actually just made you a better person and it's actually got you closer to who you really want to be. So I was thankful more than anything. Yeah, that's why I'm always fascinated about it, people's worst day because no one would ever say, boy, I hope I have to be on dialysis or watch my mom pass. I mean, no one would ever say that, but your your worst days end up becoming your best. Um. I mean, and and then your your best mate is the one that was was matched as a donor. Yeah, yeah. So um, thirty years ago, my parents said, "Do you want to um, change schools in your last year?" Right. So th they said we don't really, you know, advise it. But I, you know, being an optimist, I said, "Let's do it." Okay. And how, how old were you? I was eighteen or seventeen oh, at the okay. time. Okay. Yeah, and then so when I got there, I just you know I, I looked like a year seven. I was quite tall, but they did, said, "Who's this kid?" You know, he looks like a really large year seven, but I had no friends, nothing. And um, some kind people picked me up, but they were the people that were very studious. Now I'm a sports guy, right? right. Um, I don't know if jock, a sports jock, if that translates, but you know I, I love my sport. So there's all the sporty kids over there, and I'm with the kids that are non-sporty. So my dad worked at Coke, as I said. So I said, look, Dad, there's the Masters, which is a you know a big golf tournament in Australia, um, not as good as the US Masters. But Australian in, Masters, but, yeah, it's a good one. Correct. So I said, just get me 20 tickets, and I'm going to buy mates. So he gave me the 20 tickets, and the first ticket I handed out to was to Brendan. Uh, who's now my donor. So it's just an absolute fluke that he's a mad golfer, so am I. I hand the ticket out. We've been best mates for 30 years. But in 1999, when I got married, he was my best um, in my bridal party. And we were out. There's a beautiful beach in Perth called Cottesloe. 
It's just magnificent beach, white sand, all the things you'd expect in a, a lovely Australian beach. And we're about a K out, and uh, he said, I can't get back. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I just can't get back. I'm exhausted. I just cannot get back. You all swam so, out there? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. swam out there, and we might have had a few drinks beforehand, sure. which probably doesn't help. So effectively, I, I took, I got him back to shore. Who knows if he had survived or not, but – you know, he, he said he couldn't get back. So there was that moment. And then, yeah, in February of 2019, he basically is a perfect match and a donor for my kidney. And to top it off, he was out in two days, which is a bit of a record, and he's just climbed to Everest Base Camp. Very nice, man. So he's had a pretty good year. Yeah. So and and how did how did you bring him in? Um I mean, being a kilometer out, did you do the life-saving technique? I mean, yeah, um, yeah. Look, it's yeah. As kids, we sort of grow up, you know, learning life-saving and yeah. and, uh, and skills, and yeah, yeah. Just slowly got him in, and you saved each other's lives. Yeah, yeah. He, well, he's ex- definitely extended mine. Uh, definitely extended it. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome, man. Um, when it comes to gratitude, how important is gratitude when it comes to, you know, solopreneur and business and then just life in general? Because, I mean, it sounds, you know, from your perspective, I mean, the worst days become the best. I think that's one of the gifts from it. How important is that? Yeah, look, I think it's immensely important. Every night, the last thing I do before I go to bed, I write down what am I grat- uh, grateful for today? And most importantly, what gratitude have I given to others? So how have I helped others? What have I done for others? So to you, me, you'll I write think, that out every night. How you've helped? Correct. Other people? Every night, every night, I write that out with that with that fail. I didn't mean to cut you off, man. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, that that, yeah. So I basically have three questions that I ask myself every night, and that's the last one. No one gets there alone, Paul. I love that. <laughs> Um, sometimes I'm a good podcast host, but sometimes I got to jump in there and ask it. Cause I mean, that's fascinating. So you write that out every night about how, what you're thankful for, but how you have extended that gratitude to other people. Yes. How does, um, how does that impact you? What does that do? I think it, um, so when I was, when I was really ill, I suppose it takes the, it, it takes the th- takes the the pain or the pressure off how you're feeling right because you're actually moving it to something that's more positive and helping others so i found that was a great way not to really experience where i was in the moment so and i think that now continues you know because there's still things that with a transplant it's never 100 percent. so you know you've got medications you can't go in the sun because there's a 90 percent chance of um melanoma skin cancer you know there's different things so once again I, I suppose you know being grateful for having what brendan has given me but also making sure that i pass that on i think you know just makes me a better person mm-hmm. i always say um you know people talk about like an attitude of gratitude and i don't know if i've ever necessarily agreed with that i think we have to do certain things in order to express that gratitude i think it's an action of gratitude like being able to keep that notebook or being able to share that with others and you know it's fascinating what you talked about so being able to write a gratitude and how you've extended that to other people gets you outside of your own head 
It allows you to focus on others. So your problems are still going to be there, but you're not worried about them. Yeah, and and when and when Mum passed, I promised, and I said this at the funeral that, you know, I would not grieve for Mum. What I'd do is turn that into action because she always helped others, and she never, you know, never said poor me, and. And, you know, I want to do the exact same thing. So, you know, she might have passed on a condition which has changed my life, but she also passed on a brilliant gift, which is that one of always helping others. And I want to continue her legacy. And, you know, for me, if I can um, help people each and every day, that's what I suppose makes me. And, you know, I think it's all intertwined. And and I think it's, you know, no different than running your own business that, you know, yes, things don't go your way, but if you can constantly help others, I think it will it'll come back to you. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things you have on your website too, and I, I think we both subscribe to that theory. But if you – look, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together, right? Spot on. Yeah. Spot on. When it comes to mental toughness – you know, the mentality that uh, that we have to have, all of us. Um, how do you look at mental toughness? Yeah, look, I, I, um, James Clear that wrote the book Atomic Habits, mm-hmm. uh, I like what he said in there, which was around, um, you know, true champions are the ones that do the things when nobody else does. So, you know, it's training on the days that you don't feel well, training on the days that, are, you know, uh, snowing or, or whatever it is it's it's like doing those things that no one else is prepared to do and i think to me that is mental toughness like often unfortunately on social media it's a lot of people talking about their greatest moments which is great but it it it, it gives that false uh pretense that that's all there is but for every person that's run their own business you know there is probably more hard days than there are good days to be honest so it's what you do in the hard days and there's that saying that you know leadership is when what people say when you're not in the room i think it's sort of the same thing it's you know what are you doing each and every day that you know do make those high moments high but you're going to have a lot of those tougher days than the 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 good days yeah and that's one of the things with life right like how bad are the bad days and golf right (laughs) yes (laughs) Yeah, um, actually, I um, I, I must admit the the two best days of golf I've had was uh, the day before or two days before the surgery. So, um, Brendan's off. Uh, well, he's off six, I think, at the moment. Um, but he used to be a trainee pro. So, um, I actually um did beat him the, the couple of days before the transplant, which was uh very enjoyable. And then the last game of golf I played, which was this week with him uh, since the transplant I actually uh, got up as well so uh, I think a little bit of his golfing ability has been passed through his kidney which I'm very very grateful for you might be onto something there man who knows right hopefully there aren't too many parents listening to this and <laughs> we're gonna have a lot more kidney transplants if that's what it is that's great though man yeah um, and, and just on that donation um you know yeah. like I suppose for me you know the I'm quite uh, prevalent on on posting, particularly on uh, LinkedIn, and that's because, you know, I want people to see the benefits of someone that's given an awesome gift like a a a, a, um, a kidney or any organ. So, uh, in Australia, we've got this unfortunate rule where you can say that you definitely want to give your organs, but the family can override that once you pass. 
And often it's a very traumatic experience. And therefore, the family says, look, I, I just can't deal with this. And unfortunately, that can override an individual. So here in Australia, you know, I encourage anyone that's listening in Australia that you have that conversation with your family. But around the world, there's different laws and regulations. But if you haven't, um, you know, it takes two minutes to go and be a, do uh, a donor. And if you look at my situation, you know, it, it's just absolutely life changing. So, um, yeah, I, I really want people to, to, to think about that. And if you think of gratitude and giving, I think there's no better way than you can extend someone else's life by the gift of, you know, giving a, an organ. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's great. Um, Paul, when with all the people that you've worked with, What's the common theme that you think, um, and I know I kind of keep circling around, but I mean, what's, what's a common mentality that, that you've seen that people have to have in order to be successful and, and to have that significance to really make an impact? Yeah. You know, we talked about doing things that other people wouldn't. I think yeah. it's being curious. You know, it's really asking questions and really being curious and finding out the reason why like a lot of people will come to me and they'll say you know i, I want to increase my revenue and i'm like well but why like what what will this change in your personal life if you achieve this outcome and then you really understand what people are about so i think that curiosity i think is really important and then the other one is like being proactive you know be be proactive don't um don't wait until things happen to you be proactive like I had uh, nine years for my when I left corporate and made that decision to my kidney failure and that was being proactive by taking those nine years to do everything that they said to prolong it as long as I could to basically you know make sure that I'm here for to see my grandchildren so it's been proactive in nature and not reactive I think those three things are really important yeah you mentioned, you know, a couple of those strategies earlier, which I think are great. I think I'd probably do six out of the eight. But um, um, where do people mostly mess up? Look, I think um, the biggest one, like I said, is not having an offer that converts, right? If, 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 if you don't have something that people want, it doesn't matter what you do, how tenacious you are, all of those mental toughness things, it's just going to make it impossible because it's about you and it's not about them. So I think the biggest thing is make it about them. So quick example, I had a membership where you could ask me any question and I'd give you my experience, right, which I thought was wonderful, but hardly anyone used it because they didn't know how to ask the questions. It was always at the wrong time, whatever. What I twisted that to is people need more leads mainly in their business and what i did was went and worked out the best way to get leads through linkedin posting and like i said at the moment it's a bit of a gold mine now i can't you know i can't keep up with the demand so it was, it was still me but the former one was all about me and it wasn't i thought i was doing the right thing by people but it wasn't really what they want now i've given them exactly what they want and i've got an offer and it just keeps converting wow. so i think that's the biggest thing in your own business you can get right and get out of your head and get into the head of your prospects and what you think is right isn't always right find out what they really want and with that linkedin posting what is it that people need to do yeah look there's it's a three-legged stool yeah so the first thing is they've got to get the right um structure in their posts i read a lot of posts and i just say well you know simple thing should always have an intriguing 
header. So it gets people to want, it's like it being a journalist. You've got to get people to open the post. You've got to tell a bit of a story is the second thing. The third thing is you've got to have a really clear question because LinkedIn rewards comments. It's a social engagement platform now. So you've got to make sure that you're getting people to comment on your posts. And the last one is using the right hashtags to get it viewed by other people. So that's the posting. Then you, so um, if you don't trigger the LinkedIn algorithm, you, your posts won't really be seen. So if I do a post, which is the exact same post by myself, I might get, I don't know, let's say 100 views. I do that exact same post in a collaboration where people help each other, I'll get 5,000 views. So, you know, if you're not if you're not learning how to trigger that algorithm, you won't get the views and the success because views means likes and comments, which means sales follow-up, basically. And then the last thing is that follow-up, the messaging. Now, I say to people, would you walk into a cafe and say to someone, hey, would you mind buying me a coffee? You don't do it, right? So don't do that on LinkedIn. Don't just go to them and say, hey, would you like to to do this for me? It's all about giving first. So by having posts that are thoughtful, you're actually adding value, there's a greater chance that someone will want to connect with you. And go in and look at their profile, comment on their posts, you know, um, endorse their skills. So they're the three things. So it's posting, make sure you work as a collective to trigger the algorithm, and then the third one is make sure you're doing the right messaging to build relationships. Okay. Wow, Paul, I appreciate that, man. That's great. You know, I've always noticed from great coaches too that, you know, they've they've never closed off practice. They always say, hey, yeah, come watch practice. And I've always kind of been amazed by it because I think that coaches that aren't great say, no, you know, well, we, we can't give away our secrets. But it's more than that, it isn't. I mean, it goes into the relationships that you actually build and – um, it's it's not enough having that workout. It's just being able to do the, all those little details, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. But I've always been fascinated by that. So I appreciate you sharing that, man. Because um, I'm gonna do it. I've been I was I was self reflecting when you're saying that. It's like, yeah, man. I don't know how many questions I have asked on that, but that's uh, yeah, that's great stuff, man. Thank you so much. Um, one of the things that uh, that I like to ask is. You know, being told you can't do something. And every successful person I've come across, whether it was their situation or circumstance that they were in, or there was that person that said, that's a dumb idea, you know, there's no way you can do that. Was there a a moment or was there a person that that told you that, that you couldn't do it? Yeah, I I suppose uh, there's too many to name, but people thought writing a book whilst you're having a transplant was a crazy idea, hmm. right? They said, you know, you should be just taking care of yourself. All my nephrologists, my doctors, my specialists, my family, everyone said, why put that pressure on yourself? Like writing a book at any time is difficult enough, let alone when you're, you know, going through um, something you're going through. And to me, it, it just, once again, it, it, it put the spotlight on others. I thought if I can write a book that if I had a habit when I left corporate, it just would have made such an easier journey for me. Why can't I do that? And what I didn't know, and they didn't know, and they didn't tell me, my specialist, is that when you have a kidney transplant, you're going to a steroid, which basically makes you wired for 20 hours a day. Like, I've never been on hardcore drugs, but that's what it's like. It's Your brain just goes at a million miles an hour. So I've had all these years of brain going slow. All of a sudden, I was like, 
hyper. So I'm thinking, what a brilliant time to write a book. I'm sitting in hospital for like 24 hours. I can work 18 hours a day and pump out this book that can help others. So I suppose that was one example where everyone said, don't do it. And I thought, well, you know, why not? And, you know, it releases on the 14th of October. And I hope it helps and changes a lot of people's lives whilst it distracted me from something that, you know, I didn't love, <laughs> love doing, sitting in hospital for uh, three months. So, um, so you get your best mate's kidney, your golf game goes up, you, uh, you go on dialysis and it helps, helps you write a book. Fascinating, man. <laughs> um, tell us, I know cause the book is going to be released and, uh, you know, we'd be happy to promote it here, but tell us, uh, tell us about the book, please. Yeah. So, so the book is, um, a little bit about my journey. So, you know, why I left corporate. So a bit of what we just described today and then it goes through those five drivers that I spoke about before. So, you know, personal effectiveness, ideal client, business model, sales focus, and high-performing team. And it gives you real practical tips of my experience, but also the hundreds of solopreneurs that I've also worked with. And there's some really good case studies in there as well. And, you know, ultimately, what I want it to do is help people build new revenue streams. So, you know, you, you can, you know, Working more doesn't mean more money, you know, so you can have new revenue streams that are easier to run. And most importantly, then you can do that to fund your lifestyle. So you can do all the things, travel, you know, do all the things you really want and then finally give back. So, you know, I support an Aboriginal community that um, that um, have dialysis in the middle of Australia, which is one of the most desolate places in the world. And I knew how hard it was for me to do dialysis just by driving, you know, 45 minutes down the street, down the road. For them to get to dialysis is incredibly difficult. So that's the way that I'm giving back. So proceeds of the book and also proceeds of my business, a certain percentage all goes to helping those people. So I think everyone, you know, in the world at the moment, we're all shutting our eyes to climate change and, and a lot of things, and we've become very independent. I think, you know, it's a great time to actually get together and actually give back, which mm -hmm. is, you know, I suppose that the ethos is of um, my business. Yeah, and I'd be happy to put that link in there as well. Um, spectacular. With um, there was this one documentary I watched quite a few years ago, but it was on John Muir. It's called Across Australia. Um, he hiked through Australia unsupported. Um, pretty hard to imagine going through there unsupported, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, what's that country? What's that? What's that area like? Oh, look, it's um, yeah, it's so Marble Bar is the hottest place in the world, and Marble Bar, I think the record is 58 degrees or, or something like that. But, you know, some of the center parts of Australia, they're beautiful, but, you know, there's just red dirt and you'll get dust storms and dust storms. So it might be, you know, even in a rural community where I grew up, uh, I remember one New Year's Eve where it was about 52 degrees. So I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but I'm assuming 120, 130 Fahrenheit. And it was a massive dust storm. So I had to turn off all the air conditioning, et cetera. And it just, there was just a cloud of red dust that just covered everything. So, you know, it is, and I'm assuming storms like that is what you would also get when you're crossing Australia. But yeah. um, I, knew a, I knew a guy who grew up in our country town that used to 
ride to Darwin. So it was, I can't remember the exact, but let's say it's about 7,000 kilometres, you know, let's say you know, 5,500 miles. And he would ride up there on his push bike unassisted. And he did it at, I think he last trip was like 83 years of age or something. Um, he was quite, a, he, he invented wow. a, a particular harvester um, called, I think it was called, I can't remember the exact name, but it started with Sun. And so he was quite wealthy, et cetera, but that was his mental toughness, the thing that he would do. It's quite an amazing story. And not many people know that story, but those that are in the local area do. And, you know, it was just in- incredible. People it's- to do that, like, yeah, sorry. You what's, what's his name, Paul? I'll, I'll, I'll have to get back to you on okay. it. I can't remember his name. I love that because I'm still working on my book, man. That might, that might make it. I mean, <laughs> you know, in terms of mental toughness, do they still do that road race from Melbourne to Sydney? Yes. Yeah. Um, and how far is that? So it's about, um, I think it's about 750 miles, something like that. Wow. 900, about 1,000 Ks. Okay. And they're still doing that every year? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. We watched a documentary on, uh, I guess it was Chucky, like an old guy that, that ended up winning that thing. Um, and he just didn't yeah, stop. Well, he just kept moving. Yeah, well, there's a guy called Cliffy Young. Cliffy, Cliffy, to, I'm sorry, Cliffy, yeah. That's the Cliff, it, The yeah, Cliffy yeah. Shuffle, yeah. Yeah, correct. So he, um, yeah, used to practice in his gumboots. And, yeah, I think he was in his 70s or something when he did it. He was, uh, yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. Um, um, if there was one one other piece of advice that you could uh, could share with us, um, life experience, mental toughness, uh, what what would you share? I, I think it's um, you know it's a bit cliched, but it's like you know use a disaster scale. So no matter what's happening in your life, where is it out of ten, right? And I think you know often we worry about things that just aren't that important. Mm-hmm. So I think you know if you can. Um, actually be thankful for where whatever situation you're in you might think it's really bad but in that grand scheme of things it's not like if I looked at some of the people on dialysis through diabetes and the fact that they had type 1 diabetes and they couldn't control it and they were blind they were losing a limb so they'd basically you know chop off all their limbs and and I'm just thinking like that to me is much more 10 than where I am so you know, I think just look at that disaster scale and just don't waste time if it's low, you know. And also, if you can, help people where it's high. Um, man, I really appreciate you uh, coming here on the podcast. Um, and we're going to put the links on there. But what would you like people to um, uh, to follow you or listen in or get more information? Yeah, so uh, as you said before, Build, Live, Give is probably the theme. So you can go to buildlivegive.com. Uh, you'll find my podcast. You'll find my book. If you type in any podcast platform, Build, Live, Give, you'll come across the podcast. And also the book in Amazon uh, will be live the 14th of October. It's And um, I'm not quite sure when this releases out, but, um, yeah, it, it's it's there. And I'd love for you to to read it, share it with others, and, uh, and I always love to get feedback oh, if absolutely. it's uh, impacted your life in some way. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much, Paul. Brilliant. Thanks, Rob. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.